This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Jordan Greer, our seminary intern, left us in Revelation 5 on a cliffhanger, a scroll, a scroll that signifies the meaning of everything that we have ever experienced on the earth, and no one is worthy. It leaves us on the edge, just like we are on the edge nationally and in the world as events unfold before us. Followers of Jesus live on the edge as well because we live not only by what we see, but by what is unseen in the invisible realm that the Spirit reveals through the Spirit of God. This is what worship is all about. I encourage you then to open your Bibles. We will begin reading in Revelation 5, picking up with verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns, that is all power, and seven eyes, that is all seeing. And it, which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, sent out into all the earth. He, the Lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. Picking up at verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing, To the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us pray. Lord, this is a glimpse of what is taking place now. We pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would illumine us so that the light of heaven and the song of heaven would come in, illumine our minds, our wills, our hope and strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I would like to tell you about three people. They are real, but they are composites of real people that live among us. Rick has been overworked for years. Weekends are his only downtime. But since the pandemic hit, Rick's company has demanded more. So much more that any sense of sanity in his life has gone right out the window. He and his wife care for adult kids, elderly parents, and there is always the threat of the business closing. Rick's tension has gone through the roof. What does an hour of worship offer to Rick? There's Tanya. Tanya is a single mother of three, and for years she's worked as a unit clerk at the local hospital. Her two oldest children attend public school, her youngest in preschool. But when the pandemic shut down the schools, Tanya was forced to piecemeal their education together by getting help from her aging mother and from her less than gracious sister. And when Tanya comes home after a very long and stressful day at work, there's all the mountain of work to do at home. Her blood pressure has shot up and her spirits are chronically depressed. How does worship speak to Tanya in her predicament? Ed is a widower, and since his wife died, Ed has involved himself in the social gatherings of church and with friends and the Council on Aging. But since the pandemic shut these down, Ed is drowning in loneliness. Watching television only adds to his sadness. And for the first time in his life, Ed wonders what he is living for. How can worship fulfill the deep longings of Ed's heart? In chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, we will see that worship reveals, which is what revelation means, to pull back, it reveals reality. Number two, in worship we recover ourselves. And three, in worship we recognize worth-ship. What is worth-worship? So let's look at worship, how it reveals reality. Well, what, what do we remember about the Apostle John's reality? Well, he's in his 80s. He's the oldest and he's the only surviving di disciple who was a, became an apostle. He's been condemned by the emperor Domitian to a life sentence. Domitian tried to snuff out Christianity, and he did it by punishing or killing those who refused to bow before him in worship. 
So John is sentenced to hard labor on the Isle of Patmos, which is a small island in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Might John wonder what he is now living for, like Ed, of whom I spoke? The emperor Domitian, he threw some of the Christians into the Roman Colosseum to be torn apart by lions as a form of public entertainment. Did the late first Christian century Christians experience tension, rising blood pressure, just like Rick and Tanya, whom I mentioned earlier? John's revelation given by Jesus is given by Jesus to those who are on the edge, to those who are experiencing tension and discouragement and alienation, to those who wonder whether or not they will make it, those who question if their faith will endure. This is the reality that John and the late first century Christians are living. But it's not the only reality. It's not even the ultimate reality. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, we remember that John is worshiping on the Lord's Day. That's Sunday. He's in the spirit. That is, his full self is brought to the Lord as he's praising him. And in worship, John hears a voice that sounds like a trumpet. Now, you have seen enough movies, particularly of those in the early years of human history, those in the west of the uh, frontier. When you hear the trumpet, you know the cavalry is coming or that there's a proclamation of the king. John turns to hear this trumpet voice And he sees Jesus in his glorified state. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation are the messages that Jesus gives to the church. And now in Revelation 4, John is continuing in worship. And Jesus speaks again in that trumpet-like voice. Verse 1 and 2, which we heard read, Jesus calls to John. And John turns and look, look, a door in heaven is open right here, right here with John on the bleached rocks where John is a prisoner. A door of heaven is standing wide open. It it reminds us of Genesis 28 where Jacob, who has deceived his father and his brother, is fleeing as a refugee through the wilderness. He's scared for his life. And when he puts his head on a rock to sleep, he he has a vision that it is a ladder with angels going up into heaven and coming down from heaven. And he calls it Bethel, the house of God. I had no idea I was sleeping at the house of God, he says. Where is your place? 
Where is your place of emotional imprisonment? The place where you are afraid. Is it in your office? Your place of work? Is it around the dining table of your home? Or is it on the road as you travel? In worship, the door of heaven is swung open before our spiritual eyes. And as John looks, here's what he sees. He sees at the center, a throne is standing and one is sitting on the throne. At the center of reality, there's a throne and God is sitting on it. God is in control. The world is not up for grabs. There is a control room. My father was a pastor, but he also prided himself on being a pilot that went on from single engine to multi and jet engine. And when I was a child, long before 9-11, my father would take me up on a commercial flight to the cockpit and engage in a conversation with the pilot who would show me all the front and how the plane was being managed with those instruments. My father even allowed me to go up into the control tower of Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And there in that dark room with multiple screens, headsets and microphones, I saw how the skies were kept safe, under control because of what those people were doing in that room. Does it feel sometimes like no one's in control of this world? Have you ever wondered if a coup maybe has taken place in the heavenly realms and evil and chaos and death are taking over the course of events? In worship, Jesus shows John and shows us what is happening in heaven. Jesus reveals reality. God is ruling from the throne. The word throne appears 47 times in the book of Revelation. It's in nearly every chapter. This is the reality. The Lord reigns. Next Sunday, we will look at evil and its place and how evil is present even when God is reigning. Now we see and experience that God's throne is the real frame of reference, and it can be our frame of reference as well. A Catholic priest and psychologist named Father John Powell observed that we humans require three things if we want to live well, we want to live fully. Three things like the uh, legs of a stool, if we want to live well and fully, we must pay attention to those three things. The first is our intrapersonal life, our inner life, that self-talk that we have, 
that inner dialogue that makes us have certain emotions. We must attend to that. The second is our interpersonal relationships, the kind of relationships we have with people, so important to maintain, particularly when we're shut off in a pandemic. But the third, the third element that we must have is an accurate frame of reference, a vision of reality, a world view that keeps us oriented. I would ask, what is your frame of reference? What is the ultimate reality that you believe? Is it fate or luck? Is it unguided evolution of matter which has no meaning beyond the survival of the fittest? Is your frame of reference of ultimate reality a world that is red in tooth and claw? Or is your frame of reference revealed reality? God is on the throne. There is nothing that is outside of God's control. Heaven's door is standing open to you. Do you see things as they really are? Worship reveals reality for those who come in. The second thing is that in worship we recover ourselves. Revelation 5, 1 through 4. The one who is sitting on the throne is holding a scroll in his hand, and it's written with words on the outside and the inside and sealed with seven seals. The scroll represents the full account of God's sovereign plan for the world. I remember when I was a senior in my English class in Dallas, Texas, the teacher had us write a paper, the very beginning of the semester, on this topic. What is the meaning of life? Whew. Well, this scroll explains it all. It explains your life and mine. An angel calls for someone to come and open this scroll and break the seals. Someone who is worthy not someone who has raw power or position. And what John sees is devastating. There is no one who is worthy. Not even one. John begins to weep inconsolably. Is there no one? No one to explain all the suffering that we go through? Is there, is there no grand purpose to life other than to work and eat and die? Is there, is there no good ending to our life story? John wept just like we do today. You can hear it in our music. In January of this year, Billy Elish, an 18-year-old, won five Grammy Awards for her music. Her music, if you listen to it, is so sad. Are you so sad? Have you already gone through so much 
and you see more sorrow ahead? What is the meaning of it all? John weeps and weeps. Can we not relate to this? No matter how splendid it is to be in the throne room and God's creation is singing God's praise, if there is no assurance that I am included in God's plan, then I will cry and not rejoice. What good is it to know that God is holy if I am not included? Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, weep not. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he is conquered. And John turns to see this lion and he sees a lamb standing between the throne and these creatures and among all the people, the elders representing the old and the new covenant. And he looks as if he's been slaughtered, slit at the throat, like a lamb that's been sacrificed. The lamb is alive. And he goes to the one seated on the throne. He takes the scroll from his hand. There is one who is worthy. The lamb is worthy. And when the lamb takes the scroll, John stops weeping. Every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea breaks into song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What does this mean? A lamb. A lamb who is worthy to explain everything that has happened with human destiny. What does this mean? It means that at the heart of the universe is the sacrificial love of Jesus who will not let us go. Jesus' sacrificial love holds you together, holds this world together, makes sense of your life. In worship, you recover yourself. A man named Christian Wyman, an American poet who was the editor of Poetry Magazine for years, now teaching at Yale, received the news on his 39th birthday that he had incurable blood cancer, a rare kind that often kills people quickly but spares others for decades, afflicts some with horrible miseries while leaving others relatively healthy to the end. None of Wyman's doctors would venture a prognosis for him. That's when Wyman and his wife returned to worship. Here's what he writes, quote, Then one morning we found ourselves going to church. Found ourselves. That's exactly what it felt like in both senses of the phrase, as if some impulse in us had finally been catalyzed into action so that we were casting aside the Sunday paper and moving toward the door, and as if once inside the church, we were discovering exactly where and who 
we were meant to be. End quote. Friends, we live in a personal universe. God is on the throne. The door of heaven is standing open. And in worship, reality is revealed, and we recover ourselves. In Christ's sacrificial love, we begin to make sense of life. Finally, in worship, we recognize worth-ship. What is worth-worship? We all worship. It's said today that we worship our work, that we work at our play, and we play at our worship. We all worship something. If that something is not Jesus, it will fail us. The late intellectual writer David Foster Wallace was an award-winning, best-selling novelist. He committed suicide in 2008. Three years before, he gave a commencement speech at Kenyon College, which goes down in history as the best commencement speech ever. Listen to what Wallace, the atheist, said about worship in that commencement speech. Quote, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure. You will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power? You will feel weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to keep fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on, end quote. Wallace accurately observes that we all worship. What is it that you're giving your life to? If it is anything less than Jesus, the Lamb, it will eat you alive. What do you worship? Worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. Two roots. Worth is pretty obvious, but ship, what does that mean? In the old English, it means to shape. Simply put, our worship shapes us. If we worship money, money shapes who we are. If we worship fame, Fame becomes the defining factor in our lives. If we worship the Lamb, whose sacrificial love is at the center of the universe, then our lives are shaped and conformed into the likeness of Christ 
and his sacrificial love. Worship the lamb. He alone is worthy. To worship means to bend the knee, to kiss the hand, to bow, serve in praise. It's interesting that in the book of Revelation, there are no solos, only a chorus. 24 elders, all creation, countless angels, they join in singing one song. How is it that you sing? I know that behind your mask when you are here in a sanctuary, you are not supposed to sing. But when you are at home, when you are at the screen, when you are at the shower singing, when you're in your car, how do you sing? Do you worship your work, work at your play, play at your worship? Or do you sing like one whose weeping has been turned into rejoicing? As one who has found that the Lamb has come for you and you are included in the throne room and that you have access to God the Father and that you have a security and a purpose and assurance and you can live for Christ now and always. Is that how you sing? I close with this illustration from the film, Walk the Line. It tells the story of the music legend Johnny Cash. In his first edition, he was in a recording studio seeking a contract, and he played and sang a common gospel tune. He performed it flatly and without emotion or conviction, and the producer stopped him midway. Hold on, Mr. Cash. Gospel like that doesn't sell. Johnny asked, well, was it the gospel or the way I sing it? Both. The producer replied, well, what's wrong with the way I sing it? Johnny asked. The producer responded, I don't believe you. You're saying I don't believe in God, said Johnny. You know exactly what I'm telling you, the producer said. We've already heard that song a hundred times, just like that, just like how you sang it. Johnny protested. Well, you didn't let us bring it home. All right, the producer says. Bring it home. If you were hit by a truck, if you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, one song that people would remember before your dirt, one song that would let God know what you felt about your time on earth, one song that would sum you up, are you telling me that's the song you'd sing? about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it? Something real? Something you felt? Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. What song are you singing today? In worship. The door of heaven is standing open. You, Rick, Tanya, Ed, and I can sing the worship of the Lamb. We can see reality. We can recover ourselves in Jesus' sacrificial love. Will you join the chorus? Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we would like to join you. We would like to see what you have to show us. We would like to believe and sing and go forth rejoicing, knowing that we nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Seal us, O Lord, in the Spirit, by faith. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.